Huckabee is brought to you in part by Trivita.com, helping you experience greater wellness. Tonight on Huckabee, Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. When you, you start dealing with immigration, it becomes somewhat controversial. Actor Dennis Quay. I'm getting to do what I love to do best, and I'm getting paid for it. And author Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt. Forgiveness is an incredible act of strength. Plus, country music's Lee Bryce joins us. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilber. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Welcome to the Huckabee Show, coming to you from all over the country, instead of from our theater in Nashville. Now, this isn't going to last forever. And in the meantime, we are making the best of it, including inviting you to come to our virtual theater by getting virtual tickets so that you can meet me at the couch. Each week, those with virtual tickets are put in a random drawing for some real cool swag from our show. I hope you register for your virtual tickets at Huckabee.tv. So how's the social distancing thing going for you? Don't you sometimes just want to get in your car, go somewhere, I mean anywhere, and just go up and hug someone, even a total stranger? I mean, for those of us who haven't left our homes in seven weeks, we are rapidly approaching the fight-or-flight moment. And in many states, things are starting to open up, albeit in spurts and small steps. Now, one thing we know, the models and the predictions for how bad this was going to be were all wrong. For those who had an acute case of the Wuhan virus, it was awful. For those who have had a family member die from it, there are simply no words adequate to offer condolences and compassion. But I hope we feel the same way when an acquaintance dies of cancer or heart disease or from an accident. But we were told there would be up to 2 million in the U.S. who would die, that our hospitals would be overrun and would suffer a serious shortage of equipment, and the impact of the virus would be unlike anything the world had ever seen. So we followed the public health experts, and we didn't just stop shaking hands, we stopped living Schools closed for the entire year. All public events, including NCAA March Madness, Major League Baseball and the NBA shut down. Theaters and restaurants closed. Malls were shuttered. Disney World, other theme parks went silent. Beaches got closed. And even on Easter Sunday, churches closed. Some government officials went a little overboard, prohibiting fishing or planting gardens. Now, without haircuts, we kind of accepted looking shabby. Offices reverted to online meetings while their office buildings are closed and everything is now done on Zoom or Skype. And with that, some people didn't wear pants or maybe they forgot to close some doors and, well, they may have revealed more of their point of view to fellow office workers than they ever intended. But as we start to reopen the world, I hope we'll realize a big takeaway from all of this is to never again let government strip us of all of our liberties and our common sense in the name of protecting us. When I was governor of Arkansas, we often repeated a mantra in our office that said this, trust the Lord and tell the people. And we were actually serious about that. It meant that we needed to remember that we weren't the highest authority in the lives of our people. God was and is. Our job was to be honest with the people, tell them the truth, but realize 
they would ultimately have to choose what to do with the truth. Let's be honest, life is filled with risk. We take them every single day. We ultimately calculate the risk versus the rewards and we act accordingly. I can with 100% assurance guarantee to not have a car wreck if I don't get in a car. There's no possibility I can fall off a ladder if I don't get on one. And I cannot be killed in a plane crash if I never board a plane. Now there's some risks like those I can eliminate. Others I can mitigate. I can wear a mask or gloves, practice social distancing and sanitize my hands. But I've got to decide if the risk of a disease I might catch is a chance I have to take because the certainty of not being able to feed my family or pay my bills. That's one I do face by staying holed up in my house like a hostage. You see, it's not the government's decision, it's mine. And honestly, some people are gonna violate whatever the rules are. Let's face it, some people exceed the speed limit, others smoke, drink alcohol excessively, skydive, or climb mountains. They decide that the inherent risks are worth whatever rewards they feel. But in a free society, we allow people to make decisions and do things that scare the hair off our arms. And sometimes people who take all the precautions imaginable still get hit by a falling limb, get diagnosed with stage four liver cancer, or get food poisoning from their grandma's pork chop. Be careful, but not fearful. Most of all, accept responsibility for your own life. Government isn't God. It's not family. It's not even a very good friend sometimes. My first guest is the top U.S. defense official who says knowing who's coming into our country has never been more critical. As the coronavirus pandemic continues to batter our nation, the Department of Homeland Security is just one of many agencies working to keep Americans safe, healthy, and in the workforce while keeping those who would seek to abuse generous visa programs out. Acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf is joining us. Uh, Mr. Secretary, delighted to have you here. And I want to start with the discussion on President Trump's uh, immigration restrictions. 60-day suspension on most immigration while the country tries to manage the uh, pandemic. He's been criticized, but explain to us why this is important. What this order does, as you indicated, is a 60-day pause on, new, on entry of new immigrants coming into the U.S. And these are individuals that are coming in that can compete with Americans for almost any job in almost any industry. And so the president was right in taking very decisive action to say, given that we're in the middle of a pandemic, given that there's over 26 million Americans that have filed unemployment claims recently, we need to take a pause uh, as we open the country back up and we get out of this pandemic to make sure that Americans have the ability to re-enter the workforce, regain their jobs, regain their livelihood, uh, and contribute again. A lot of other countries are restricting Americans traveling into their country unless they are willing to go into quarantine. In some cases, just saying we can't come. So this is not that unusual. And I don't know why it's even controversial, Mr. Secretary, for the president to say that with almost 30 million Americans right now out of work, that there's no point in importing labor. Why, why is it even a point of discussion or controversy in Washington? Well, Governor, as you know, uh, anything when you, you start dealing with immigration becomes somewhat controversial. 
uh, and opinions get very heated very quickly. Uh, but that's not what is occurring here. We're in the middle of a global health crisis and a global pandemic. And as the country and, and the department, and I would say the president and the administration has taken great strides and really done a lot to try to open up the country and the economy in phases, in various phases. And part of that is making sure that Americans can regain and re-enter the workforce. Uh, and so this is really, from our perspective, very uh, not controversial at all. Uh, and understanding that we've got millions and millions of Americans out of work and we need to provide those jobs for them as they come back into the workforce. Just this week, someone attempted to illegally cross the southern border, turned out to be infected with COVID-19. Uh, folks from uh, Border Patrol was able to uh, keep that person from getting into the U.S. Uh, this simply prevents people from bringing the infection in. We've, we've already got enough of it without importing it. Uh, talk about your agents at the border what they face day after day in trying not only to deal with just the issue of the border, but this added burden of COVID-19. What we're talking about, and I think your, your question is very specific, on individuals crossing the border illegally. And that's equally as concerning uh, for not only DHS, but really the frontline men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol and for Customs and Border Protection. And so we have new authorities under this global pandemic uh, that turns individuals essentially right around at the border back to their home countries, whether it's Mexico, whether it's the Northern Triangle or elsewhere, making sure that those individuals are not in the care and custody of CBP or ICE. These are facilities that are not meant um, to, uh, to have large numbers of individuals, perhaps with COVID, uh, in our facilities. So it's for the protection of other migrants, it's protection of our frontline workforce, uh, but it's also for the protection of the American people. And so the case that you mentioned, Governor, is an individual, an Indian national, who illegally crossed our border, uh, who tested positive. So CBP, we have a number of protocols that we've put in place over the last several months. Uh, they did exactly the right thing. They, ended, they identified this individual had flu-like symptoms early on. They had him evaluated. They had him tested. Uh, it came back positive. Um, and so we were able to segregate him and isolate this individual um, and what that did and the fact that we don't have thousands and thousands of individuals in our care and custody today is really a, a testament to CBP. If you were to back up a year ago, when we were in the middle of our, our southwest border crisis. We had thousands and thousands of individuals in Border Patrol stations up and down the southwest border. And if someone that's positive comes into that station and infects others, then you can see the, the issue that we would have all along the southwest border. And so using unique authorities that we have under this pandemic, uh, we're actually able to prevent that. So the best protection that we can give the men and women of the Border Patrol is, again, this unique what we call Title 42 authority uh, that al allows them to repatriate or to remove these individuals very, very quickly so they don't have to have prolonged exposure and contact to them. You know, when I think of all the things that are on your plate at Homeland Security, and a lot of Americans don't realize it includes everything from TSA, uh, Border Patrol. There's so many different sub-agencies that are a part of DHS. Let's talk about air travel. I know that there are several agencies involved in that, but TSA, uh, the, the security portion of it is under your uh, purview. What are we going to see going forward that may change our air travel experience? I think we will see airline traffic uh, continue to evolve. And I think we're going to see that in a number of industries. I don't think we're going to go back to what it was like uh, pre-COVID. 
uh, there'll be a new baseline of what is normal and what's normalcy. And uh, we're taking a look at what that means for airline traffic here domestically as, as we uh, move out of the pandemic. Mr. Secretary, I don't know of uh, anybody who's going to be busier than you in Washington because of all the things that you oversee. We're genuinely grateful to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Hope to see you again soon and uh, take care and God bless. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Governor. You can follow the acting secretary on social media at DHS underscore Wolf and follow the agency's ongoing efforts and read weekly updates at DHS.gov. And if you'd like more of my analysis of the news, join me after the show on Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. We're going to be talking about federal injustice, Chinese drugs, and going green versus going to hell. We really are. So be sure and join me on Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. Right now, here's Keith Bilbrey. He's going to be telling us what's coming up next. Well, this is going to be one red hot show tonight. Coming up, actor Dennis Quaid. I'm getting to do what I love to do best, and I'm getting paid for it. Author Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt. Forgiveness is an incredible act of strength. And country music star Lee Bryce. Get ready to stay tuned and hang on tight. Next week, Vernon Jones fights back against political bullies. And Dr. Jen Ashton helps you improve your health. Joining me now is a New York Times bestselling author, dedicated animal rescue supporter, and wife to one of America's favorite heroes, Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, a.k.a. Chris Pratt. She's written an important new book. It's called The Gift of Forgiveness. Catherine Schwarzenegger-Pratt, we're glad you're with us. And I want to begin with this question. It seems like that uh, the title of your book is, in fact, quite accurate. Forgiveness is a gift, isn't it? Yes, it is for sure a gift. And thank you so much for having me via Skype. I'm very excited to be here. Um, yes, the book is definitely um, explanatory of what forgiveness is, especially in my journey of writing this book and talking to 22 people I interviewed for this book, learning that forgiveness is really a gift that you give yourself and has nothing to do with another person. And uh, what a sense of freedom it gives you when you're able to give yourself that gift. You open the book with a very personal story of a friend who hurt you deeply. I want you to talk about that experience and how that one moment in your own life led you to seek out how forgiveness had impacted other people. Well, I think throughout our lives, we experience forgiveness in different ways. And for me, going through a um, big falling out with one of my best friends, really triggered my um, interest in forgiveness and also paying attention to the role that it played in my life for the very first time. And I personally found that talking to other people about their experiences and their struggles with forgiveness really is what benefited me the most. And I was able to take little nuggets of wisdom from other people's experiences and struggles and apply it to my own life. And, and don't you think it's harder to forgive someone if they're close to you? Uh, like you write about in the first chapter, if this had been a total stranger, somebody who just wrote something nasty on social media, it's easy to blow that off and to say, I, I don't care. Yeah, for sure. I think that it, you know, it makes 
the wound cut a little bit deeper when it's somebody that you know really well or someone that's in your family. And um, it's been really interesting because as I've gone on this book tour journey and leading up to the book coming out a month ago, I would talk to a lot of different people about forgiveness and they would ask me um, mainly about when it, about how to deal with forgiveness when it comes to being wronged or betrayed by someone who's really close to you or someone who's in your family and how challenging that forgiveness journey really is. And I think that um, it's really shown me that so many people are struggling with forgiveness and that I really hope with this book that people can read it and that it sparks conversation between family members, between friends, between just people in general about uh, their forgiveness journey and being able to just be open about all of us needing to be there for one another in our forgiveness journeys. Your book, uh, Gift of Forgiveness, also talks about that some people seem to think that forgiveness is an act of weakness. Why would you challenge that and say, no, it's not weakness to forgive people, it's strength. I remember at some point in my life feeling like forgiveness might be um, an act of weakness or a betrayal of your own hurt. And why would you give someone else a gift after uh, they've wronged you or caused you an incredible amount of pain? And that forgiveness almost felt like folding in a situation and not as a strength. Forgiveness is a incredible act of strength and and power. And um, it's a really empowering thing to be able to read these people's stories and get inspired by their strength and their ability to practice forgiveness. And you see it as being an act of, uh, of love for yourself and giving yourself that gift of forgiveness. Catherine, in talking to the 22 people, how often did faith come uh, up in the discussion with them? And how important was faith in a lot of these people and saying, hey, God's forgiven me. Uh, he'll give me the power to forgive other people. It's interesting to talk to a lot of the people in this book and to see how how strong faith, uh, how strong of a role faith has played in these people's journeys and just being able to have something to rely on and to believe in and to believe in something greater, especially when, you know, you're going through something incredibly challenging and you feel like all you have is the ability to trust in God and trust in a higher power and, and, uh, and trust in that process. And so I think a lot of people in this book have talked about faith being a huge part of their role when it comes to their ability to forgive. And even when having moments of struggling with forgiveness in their life moving forward, leaning on their faith as being a huge part of helping them through uh, various obstacles in life, but especially forgiveness. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your book and sharing the power of forgiveness. The book, The Gift of Forgiveness. Keith Bilbrey's got the details on how you can get your copy of Catherine's powerful book, so we'll turn it over to Keith and he'll tell you how. Well, you can get The Gift of Forgiveness right now wherever books are sold and follow Catherine Schwarzenegger Pratt on social media at Catherine Schwarzenegger. Next, world-class illusionist Reza and actor Dennis Quaid. Later, author Ruth Graham and country music hit maker Lee Bryce on Huckabee. Welcome back. The people of New York City have been the hardest hit by the coronavirus in the United States. And as Franklin Graham just said, 
Our friends at Samaritan's Purse are working in Central Park to help save lives. Please reach out and help them with a generous gift and pray for a solution to COVID-19. You can call the number on your screen or you can visit the Samaritan's Purse website right now. Whatever you're able to give, it really will make a difference during these difficult times. So please give so that others may live. God bless you. Well, my next guest is one of the most sought after illusionists in the world. You're about to find out why. He's entertained live audiences worldwide and over 30 million TV viewers with his appearances on hit shows like Penn and Teller, Foolish. I want you to be prepared and be amazed by the magic of Reza. What a great display of magic and illusion. Reza, what got you into uh, doing illusion? Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much. I started when I was uh, about six years old. It's crazy how one moment can change your life, literally. And this magician came to my elementary school, and somehow he wound up getting me up on stage for this trick. And I remember it very vividly as a kid. You know, these moments kind of stand out. And it was with these rings, mm -hmm. solid steel rings, about this big, and they would link and unlink. And I was, I was fascinated. So I went home, and that night I remember telling my parents, "I want to be a magician when I grow up." And uh, it, they were so happy, Governor. Let me tell you, they were they were so happy. But they, as any supportive <laughs> parents would, bought me a magic kit for my seventh birthday, and that's where it all started. Beautiful, beautiful story. Hey. I know we're separated by Miles and Skype and all of the technology, 
But Reza, can you show me something now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot that divides us, unfortunately, but there's a few things that bring us all together. And I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like Oreo cookies. So, uh, you know, I want to try something with an Oreo. Governor, do you like Oreos? <laughs> I love Oreos and I love Oreos and ice cream. The cookies and cream, one of my favorites. So, yes. Exactly. Actually, that was invented in my uh, hometown, Brookings, South Dakota. And so I have a, a very <laughs> special connection to this, uh, which is cool. But even though people love Oreos, there's still a problem because some people eat them like this, right? Cream first. I don't know. Do you do it like this or mm -hmm. do you just eat the whole cookie? I eat the whole cookie, the whole enchilada. Mm. The whole thing? Cookie, not an enchilada. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. If you do the cream first, though, you're left with a problem. Just the cookie left, right? So I came yeah. up with a solution. Watch carefully. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so that uh, here, cheers. Stunning. Wow. Double stuffing Oreo. Double stuff, triple stuff, Man. potentially. Triple stuff. Wow. Reza, I got to tell you, I don't know how you did that. I'm watching it here on uh, a video screen. You got to come to our theater when we're back open in Nashville and do that. And if even if you don't do the trick, just bring the bag of Oreos. That's all you got to do. I will. We'll let you in the door, I promise. Well, we're looking forward to, uh, to having you. I got to tell you this. You make us all very hungry for an Oreo snack right now. Reza, thank you so much for being with us. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Governor. I appreciate it. It's an honor. But while I try to figure out how he did that, I want to see if Keith Bilbrey has anything up his sleeve to help you follow the magic of Reza. Well, I think I can conjure something up. To book Reza for your event, to see his tour schedule, more amazing videos, and to get his DVD that teaches you how to do some magic of your own, visit RezaLive.com. Coming up, the soon-to-be king of podcasts, Dennis Quaid. I'm getting to do what I love to do best, and I'm getting paid for it. And Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Then country artist Lee Bryce is on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. My next guest is one of the most versatile actors of our time. He has excelled in roles ranging from comedy to dark drama, as well as biopics. He's one of those rare actors who so embody a role that one forgets there's even an actor playing the character. I'm talking about Dennis Quaid, multi-talented actor, director, musician, Texan, and now interviewer. Now, when someone is that good at that many things, I call it disgusting. Take a look at this fun introduction to his latest creative endeavor. Hi, I'm Dennis Quaid. Let's be honest. 
I'm the busiest man in show business. When I'm not making hit films and TV shows for the biggest players in the space, I'm a hilarious and insightful guest on some of the biggest talk shows in the world. Most recently, I entered the brand space as the star of the disruptive and very profitable insurance campaign. Insurance hired me, Dennis Quaid, as their spokesperson because apparently I'm highly likable. I like Dennis Quaid. Aw. If you live on Earth, you saw them. Trust me. But enough about me. Many people consider me to be a renaissance man, a musician, animal lover, and now a podcast pioneer. Some would say we are living in a renaissance of Dennis. A denissance, if you will. Wow, that has a catchy ring to it. Which is why that is the name of my new podcast. Dennis Quaid, welcome to our show, and congratulations on the Denissance. Uh, great to see you, Mike. Big fan for very long. Great to be on your show. Very happy to have you. What just got into you that after all these things you've been doing, qu quite a litany, you said, I think I'll do a podcast. That'll be my, my new endeavor. I'm going to interview people. How'd it come about? Well, uh, I never even listened to a podcast uh, up until about two years ago, to tell you the truth. And then uh, a friend of mine who was now my partner, uh, Jared Gutstadt, uh, invited me to be part of a, a music podcast uh, that also included Bob Dylan and T-Bone Burnett uh, called Bear to Banjo. And we had the number two music podcast last year with that. And so we decided to, well, wow. let's broaden this out and start our own podcast platform. Uh, we want to be the YouTube of, of podcasts. I love the name, Denizance. I mean, people have said, you're a, Dennis, a Renaissance man. Now we're all Denizance people. What it is, uh, we have a whole slate of shows with audio up uh, over all genres. And I guess the flagship uh, of show is the Denizance, which is sort of, it's an interview format. My favorite part of filmmaking is when I get a role, I've played a lot of real people and I, I love the research that goes into it to find out what makes that person tick. I've, I've played Gordo Cooper in the, in the, the right stuff. I played Jerry Lee Lewis. I've pl uh, played uh, uh, Jimmy Morris, who was the, the real rookie in, in, in uh, baseball, the baseball film I did. And I, I met these people and I would, to find out what makes them tick, really kind of asking them questions, spending time with them. And so I brought that process to podcast and so I could share with the audience uh, to get down to these people that they think they know and, and uh, find out something interesting about them and maybe find out something interesting about yourself. It sounds like this is going to be a broad ranging podcast where uh, Dennis Quaid talks to people about music, the arts, you might get into current events, uh, but movies. So is there any topic that is sort of front and center for you, or do you just go all over the landscape in the podcast? I like that people on the show that uh, don't necessarily have something to sell. And also, these are people that I have met in uh, my life uh, that are acquaintances, close friends. Uh, you know, I find, I find uh, during the interview process, one of the great questions is, what, what, what is your spiritual journey? because it's, that's always so connected mm. to who we are as people. Well, I want to talk about music because uh, I love the fact you've got a band, Dennis Quaid and the Sharks. I'm hoping when this uh, virus stuff is over, we get you to Nashville in our theater. 
Was, was your music something from your early life? Did you uh, play when you were a, a kid in garage bands, or was it something you picked up later? It was really the first, you know, real passion of my life was was music. Uh, I got my first guitar, which is like right behind me, the, the Yamaha the, when I was 12 years old. And uh, uh, it just, I was alone in my, uh, you know, room as a teenager uh, growing up. And it, it was just something that was therapeutic. And uh, I, I became a songwriter very early on because there was no way I was going to shred a guitar. Uh, I knew, and uh, use songwriting as a defense, and it's just part of me. And I've been lucky enough to do a lot of music movies. Uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia, and of course, uh, Great Balls of Fire, and and the several, other, and sell some songs to uh, the movies as well. Let's talk about the podcast again. How do our viewers find the Denizons? Yeah, uh, check us out any place that you can find podcasts. You know, old podcast button on on your uh, iPhone or. Uh, Wherever you can find a, a podcast, you'll find the Denisons. That's D-E-N-N-I-S-S-Ons. Well, we're going to have you and the Sharks in Nashville to our theater. It's going to be fun getting a theater full of people who will be waiting to see you. And if you need a guest bass player, I'm available. Just throwing it out there. Got it for you right here. <laughs> right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell our viewers how to become fans of the Denisons podcast. Here's how. Well, be sure to enjoy the Denisance Podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and your favorite podcast app. And follow Dennis Quaid's great rock and roll band, The Sharks, on social media at Dennis Quaid and The Sharks. Next, author Ruth Graham joins us. And country music star Lee Bryce is coming up on Huckabee. Watch the full show or your favorite segment anytime you like. It's on demand at Huckabee.tv. And welcome back. That was Trey Corley and the Music City Connection bringing us in. Or as these days, we like to call them Trey Corley and the Socially Distant Connection, who aren't connecting at all. At least they're not touching each other. But that's for another day. We're happy to have the best band in the land. Even quarantine, they're good. Thank you, Gov. Well, before we had all of our daily lives turned upside down by the coronavirus, one of Dr. Billy Graham's daughters, Ruth, joined us in our studio to talk about her life, successes, failures, and how God was still greater than all of it. We began with a look back of what it was like to grow up a Graham. Growing up in a family where there was so much attention and focus, how tough was that as just a little girl trying to live a normal little girl life? Well, as a little girl, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, yes, Daddy was gone, and it wasn't until years later that somebody looked at me because I had been through some really tragic things in my life by my own choice. I kept repeating the same mistake over and over again. Mm. And um, someone looked at me and said, Ruth, do you realize as a little girl you felt abandoned? Now, I did not want that to be mm. true. I said, no, I, my father's my hero. He's still my hero. I adored him. I just didn't want it to be true. But the puzzle piece fit the puzzle. One of the things I find so powerful in the book that you've written on forgiveness, very timely, by the mm -hmm. way, it's that 
you knew how to say the right words. I mean, for heaven's sakes, you're Billy Graham's daughter. <laughs> I think you know what to say. But translating that into what would be a lifestyle mm -hmm. where you make decisions not just because they're the words, but because the choices that you make. Mm -hmm. At what point did, did that sort of come together for you? It came together when, I, and I tell the story in the, in the book, um, when I went to Angola prison, and as you mm. know, it's the largest, one of the largest prisons in our country yeah. for um, men who are serving life terms. Mm. And I was invited as part of a team of pastors and teachers and counselors to come present our ministry dealing with the underbelly of the church, divorce, abuse, pornography. So we went and I was asked to visit death row. And visiting prison was one thing, but death row was a mm. totally different thing. And as I walked through the gates with a concertina wire listening in the sun and the gate clanked behind me and I was locked in this cell, this pen, waiting for the gate to open to go into death row, I thought, what am I doing here? And the first person I came to was a young man and he held his hand out through the bars and he shook my hand and we talked for a few minutes. And he said, can I sing you a song? Mm. And I thought, yeah, you can sing me a song. So he stepped back, took a deep breath, and he said, it is well with my soul. And I knew it was well with his soul. And we talked for a little while later. We prayed together. And he said, can I give you a gift? And I thought, what can he give me? Well, he had woven a cross out of the threads he pulled from his bed sheets. Uh. And I have it hanging in my, my house now. And I said goodbye to him. And I thought that was the end of the story. When I got home, I got an email from a lady. And she said, did you meet Michael on death row at Angola? Mm. And I responded and I said, yes, I did. She said, do you know if he's a believer? I said, I don't know. I have to call <laughs> Warden Kane. And he said, yes, he is a believer. As a matter of fact, he's scheduled to die this month. So I emailed her back and I said, he is a believer, but what's your interest in this young man? And she said, he brutally murdered my granddaughter years ago. And she said, I want him to know that he'll, I want to know he'll be in heaven with me. And I thought, Whoa. I don't know anything about forgiveness. Whoa. And I wanted to know more about forgiveness. And that's the birth of this book. Ruth, you say in the book something that I really, really thought was profound. You said that forgiveness is a process. It's a process, a lifelong process, because we can make the decision to forgive. And, and A.W. Tozer said, once we make the decision, any decision, but the Holy Spirit can inhabit that decision. And you use the scripture to renew your mind, but it may take a lifetime. You also said that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes, yes. I think that is a most amazing message that you talk about. Forgiveness is unconditional. We make that choice. Yeah. But then um, reconciliation depends on the changed behavior of the one who's done the wounding. Mm -hmm. and, and only the person wounded can make that choice. I, I don't think we hear that very much. In fact, I don't think we hear enough about forgiveness at all. No, and we need it so badly right now. What is the first step for a person? Because there's people undoubtedly watching us are filled with bitterness. They're still angry over things that happened to them years ago, maybe from their families, an ex-spouse, a business partner. Somebody hurt them, and they really did hurt them. Mm -hmm. we're, yeah, we're not seriously. minimizing the pain, no. the agony, because it's real. What's the first step toward forgiveness? Well, sometimes we're not even willing. So maybe the first step is to say, Lord, help me be willing to be willing and let the Holy Spirit begin to work. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We can make all the decisions we want, but unless the Holy Spirit's there, we can't do it. Mm. And so I just trust the Holy Spirit to work in and through those decisions. The book is called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. Was there something you had to forgive your father for? 
I had to forgive him for that sense of abandonment. Mm. Because he was gone He's so gone much gone so of your much. Life. And I wanted a, a daddy to pick me up when I fell. I wanted him to teach me to ride a bicycle. But when I needed him the most, he was the farthest away. Mm. And my father and I never had that conversation. Unfortunately, he was not conversant by the time I discovered all yeah. this. But he, he can hear me now. Huh. And I know that he would never have wanted to hurt my heart, ever. Yeah. And, um, but he, he had. And so I had to forgive him. You're a beautiful person. Thank you. I love the message that you have for people who hurt. Thank you. And I hope people will read this book. It's called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. Available all major booksellers. And you can also go to ruthgraham.com to download a free chapter of her book. And I'm convinced if you download the chapter, you'll want the rest of it. You can learn about her ministry, her podcast, and a lot more. Keith, why don't you tell us what else we have coming up on the show tonight? Well, we've got a real country music star with us. Coming up, the very talented Lee Bryce, right here on Huckabee. If you're ready to laugh at the news that's too funny but true, watch In Case You Missed It on Huckabee.tv. My next guest is a country music recording artist with a new hit song that is racing up the charts, and for good reason. On April the 10th, his song, One of Them Girls, was released, and in four days, it had already been streamed over one million times. Now, you know his previous number one hits like I Drive Your Truck, I Don't Dance, and Rumor. In the past 10 years, his songs have been streamed over 1.9 billion times. Lee Bryce, I'm so glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. It's so good to be here. Say, tell me the inspiration for the song, One of Them Girls, because it's a, I mean, it's a hit. Uh, at first, we were just writing something to have fun and just write a cool song. And then it turned into, okay, what's this song about? And obviously, it's about a strong woman, the kind of woman you want to end up with. But we kind of elevated the song to a whole other level with the video and put her in, in even a, a bigger light, in a, almost a hero position, um, first responder, a single mom. Uh, and so uh, the song is really taking on a cool life, and uh, we're, we're, we're excited about it. Well, the timing of uh, putting all that together in light of the coronavirus, uh, it not only is a terrific song with a phenomenal beat, but at the same time, you're saluting people who are on the front lines in the battle against the virus. And so Maybe that's one of the reasons this song has taken off and done so well. It could be, you know, um, and, that, and again, it wasn't, um, when we were writing it, of course, it is a Cinderella story song as far as it did happen really quickly, but but none of this was going on, you know, whenever we, we kind of had the idea for the song and the video. So it is kind of just an odd, kind of maybe a God thing, just putting it in place. Um, and uh, so, so, uh, you know, maybe that is the reason why. But yeah, it does have a cool groove, and I think people just like to ride down the road and listen to it, so I'm excited. I, I'm impressed as much. Uh, you're, you're a performer and a fantastic performer. I don't know if everybody understands who you've written songs for. I mean, everybody in the business. Garth Brooks, Jason Aldean, Tim McGraw. Uh, obviously, your songs have been uh, grabbed by the top people in the business. What is it that just kind of sparks in you to write great country music songs? Uh, man, you know, truthfully, it's it's the bar that I guess I, I couldn't help but set because of the music that I listened to growing up. 
You know, I mean, I listened to great mm. gospel music growing up, but then I listened to great country music growing up um, and, and great classic rock and stuff. But mostly it was just really great country music. And the songs just had there was a bar of how great they were lyrically, um, musically, the, the melodies. And so that stuff stuck with me. And so when I sit down and write a song every single time, that bar is there for me. And so I can't settle until I've reached at least, I feel like, for that song's capacity, what that bar can be. Lee, are there some artists that are sort of singing in the back of your head, artists that you grew up with that influenced you and still do? Absolutely. Well, everything from, uh, you know, Alabama, Vince Gill, um, uh, you know, really the Gaither Vocal Band, the Kingsmen, some of the gospel stuff I grew up, Brian McKnight, hmm. uh, Whitney Houston, Real singers that I just enjoyed, and then Garth Brooks telling a story as he's as he's you know everything that comes out of his mouth you know you just believe. So those are the things that that um, I still gravitate towards. And like you said, you're right. I've never thought about it like that. I hear them in the back of my head as I'm writing songs. They're a part of who I am and my music. Absolutely. I'm so glad they're still singing, and I hope they stay on your shoulder because you're putting out some great stuff the best of your life. And in a moment, Lee Bryce is going to perform One of Them Girls. But first, Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can get more of Lee's fantastic music? Well, you can get your copy of Lee Bryce, One of Them Girls, everywhere music is sold. All of his music is available on Apple Music, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Also, visit his website, leebryce.com, for all of his latest music and news. Be sure to stay for the end of the show for some closing remarks from Mike. First, we've got a real treat for you. Performing his hit single, One of Them Girls, with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Lee Bryce. Might run the pool table, roll your eyes if I call you an angel. Ain't you one of them girls? Ask you to dance, you say no, just to see how far I'll go. Your song comes on and your eyes close. That's when I know, yeah. You got your heart on lockdown. You got a wall, I got a knockdown. I kinda wanna do a shot now. Come on now. You one of them girls that ain't trying to meet nobody. And now 
song I hold all night long Write a little love song For one of them girls that ain't trying to meet nobody You're just here for the party If I'm wrong, then stop me Well, this week it was revealed that the FBI viciously and intentionally tried to trap former National Security Advisor General Michael Flynn. Handwritten notes obtained under a Freedom of Information lawsuit revealed that FBI agents lied in order to ruin General Flynn's life. Michael Flynn should be exonerated, and the corrupt cops who abused their badges should not only do prison time, they ought to have to reimburse General Flynn for his legal fees and whatever it takes to restore his good name from faithfully and honorably serving our country in the military for over 32 years. Law enforcement is supposed to enforce the law, not just make it up to punish people they don't like. Well, our special thanks tonight to our guests, Dennis Quaid, Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt, Ruth Graham, the amazing Reza, and our very special musical guest, Lee Bryce, a special shout out tonight to Winnie Ruth and Walter Sweeting, who survived Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. And while recovering, they still find time to watch our show every week by way of satellite on the island of Man of War. So wherever in the world you live, thanks for watching and joining us each week. We love bringing the show to you. And I say on behalf of all of our team operating under sometimes difficult conditions, but with a great attitude. Thanks. And God bless. Good night, everyone.